0: Wednesday Wednesday, 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 Wednesday. That's all right. Hey, isn't that supposed to be Saturday? What day is it today?
1: Wednesday. Exactly. Ah! Oh!
0: Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon. I'm Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Yo. And very shortly tr- right, Nehru will be talking with us later in the program about the big film of the week, which was released on Monday. Weirdly, Monday?
2: yeah, I, I have no idea why they released it on Monday. It's it's kind of interesting. I think in America they're releasing it on Tuesday so that it's out in time for July the
0: fourth. Happy Fourth of July, everyone! And yes, yeah, and but if, but it's July third now. So happy birthday, Tom Cruise! Right, <laughs>
2: that's that's ba- uh, basically analogous to releasing it. Sorry, my brain just died.
0: Are releasing <laughs> it, it's it's a weird thing to release it on a Monday. When was the last time a film was released on a Monday? Ever? Never. Never. No, we, we, films
2: have never been released on a Monday, but like releasing it on Tuesday in America um is kind of like releasing it on Wednesday in Australia, yet they've we always get movies a day before America, two days really, when you factor in time differences, since they get films on Friday and we get them on Thursday. So strange phenomena that even though their movie is being released over there on a Tuesday uh, you know, we we're still getting it a day early, even you know, th- even though we don't have July the fourth. I don't know.
0: I celebrate July fourth, uh, but, 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 yeah. <laughs> but not everyone I Australia don't know
2: does. Where I'm going with this weird uh, esoteric film notary, I, I suppose,
0: which is what you could say about parts of Spider-Man: Far From Home. No, there, there are elements that are very esoteric. Uh, I'm but, referring but to not f- film notary. No, not at all. Um, well, in, in some respects, but we'll talk about that later in the program. We'll also be talking first, however, about the other big film and cinemas. The other thing Disney has taken over it's all our an screens with. All
2: Disney show this week. We're going to talk about Toy Story the fourth.
0: Toy Story the fourth. The film, the Muppets movie, made a joke about eight years ago that would never happen. It has now happened. Yep. Wow. So this is starring, of course, Tom Hanks and Tim Allen and John Ratzenberger and Joan Cusack and Christina Hendricks in a new role, and as I learned by watching the credits, Timothy Dalton.
2: Yeah. And um, he was in Toy Story
0: 3 as well. Yes, he was the porcupine, Mr. Prickly Pants. Mr. Prickly Pants, yes. And Keanu Reeves as Juke Kaboom, Canada's best stuntman. Yeah. And this is a continuation of the Toy Story saga, the last one. Really now? What, seven years ago? We thought Uh, it was. No,
2: no, uh, nine years ago.
0: Nine years! Wow. We thought it was all over. We said that three times now, and we're continuing on. This takes place a number of years after. No, the I think
2: everyone said it's all over, including Disney when Toy Story three came out. That was supposed to be what was special about that film. But surprise, this one's special the too. Search for more
0: money, <laughs> the search for spot. No, uh, this is just more of this. More of what we've seen before, but a bit of a different as was spin Toy on Story it. three. And it just two. had a massive
2: no two was a not, two. I mean, you can make the argument that all sequels are remakes. Two was different enough in that it, it addressed the big elephant in the room of this whole Toys Are Alive concept of what about kids getting, if the toys are alive, what happens when the kids stop playing with the toys? It gave enough to differentiate and deepen the series. Toy Story 3 was a, re- a remix and remake of Toy Story 2 with a traumatic ending, which was the best part of the film. And now comes Toy Story 4, which is again remixing elements of Toy Story 2 and 3.
0: But 3 was interesting and in then it went much more into the psyche of how toys and respectively individuals would relate to others who they care for and respectively would care for them. The villain in that respect was much better, particularly in the villain in this one. We would describe the plot of this, um, but it, it really is a rehash of what we seen in a lot of Toy Story films. It's the toys go out, Uh, trying to find one of their lost ones um, all the while caring for the young child or the toys who do have children in this universe. Um, The main thing I'd say about this movie is I, it doesn't need to exist, but I'm actually kind of glad it does because it's been nine years. It's long enough, and I'm fine for another installment in this universe because I enjoy it. I remember watching Toy Story when I was a kid. I remember Toy Story 2 and 3 when they came out, and there was not—it's a lot of detraction that there has been a great deal of time that has passed since we last saw the story.
2: Well, I don't believe that only—I don't think you believe this, but I don't believe that only new things are worthwhile, so I do not I don't buy that— uh, just because it's been a decade means we need to have another Toy Story film. But I should note, despite my having been sort of relentlessly negative about this so far, it is a, a really well executed. And that's what it comes down to in the end, that like, it's a, it's a good movie.
0: Yeah, I should qualify what I said earlier in that it doesn't have the impact nearly of seeing for the first time. No, all it does the have second impact of to Toy Story 2 all, or, or all, 3. Or the third time. But, and if I had watched those the media three prior to watching this i'd be bored out of my mind but i'm glad i didn't i i could have just gone back and watched toy story after 10 years not having seen it but it's not terrible that there's a good sequel
2: i think look i think this film actually has a more original plot than toy story three because toy story three was essentially the same kind of premise of two which is that like the, the specifics have changed but it's we're stuck in a place we need to figure out how to escape and there's toys there that are arguing no you should stay here with us Toy Story 4 is a little bit more of a twist
0: Um, and deals with there were bits in three where they really try to shock you or scare you with how the toys are articulated and then framed this, these ones actually did. They're playing on a lot of horror tropes yep. and, uh, they're a little blatant about it sometimes. Kids might it's actually scared. fun to watch yeah. for as an adult, as someone who watched the first toy story when they were a kid and now can watch, go to the cinema all in their lonesome and you not be scared by a not very scary, but still hilariously funny film in some respects.
2: On the subject of, of how things appear in the frame, this is actually a really well-directed film. Um, first time for, uh, Directorial effort from longtime Pixar uh, story artist and writer Josh Cooley. Um, he did an amazing job. This is an incredibly executed action comedy. Sightlines are really clear and clean, um, and the action is quite complex. Um, it, it, this really nails what the Toy Story films have been doing since the first one, which is these kind of heist film esque sequences of everyone has a special skill and they all come together. Um, in order to do something impossible for toys and really playing with the scale of the toys. Um, It's also really, really fast-paced, but I think it gives moments enough time to breathe. I remember last year watching The Incredibles 2 and feeling that this movie was so hyperactive that I was just tuning out, Um, but no such problem here. It's, it's really well executed we should probably talk about what it's about just to be to, clear. To, cl-
0: to clarify what it is about uh several years after the events of toys St- not several years after nine three, years not nine, nine years exact, after nine no, years th- after toy story 3 no not nine years after toy story oh, right. 3 it was about it's only a couple of years after toy right, story 3 right. if that because there's right. an illusion in toy story 3 to both people having gone away it's never explained again and he will really learn a little bit more about the beginning of the film, about how her and Woody and the toys parted, and then several years later, we find ourselves on a road trip in an RV with um, a bunch of the new toys and the new young girl who loves playing with them. And uh, as has been alluded to, happenstances ensue, and we and there's a and that we, people are separated, but there's also a new toy called Forky, who is voiced by what's his name from Arrested Development, Buster, Buster, Tony Hale. Yes, Tony Hale, a uh, buster, um, I'm a monster, Bluth. Yep. And uh, much of the film takes place in this antique store where they encounter a number of characters, some confronting, some otherwise, who they have to contend with in order to get back to the Andy figure in this movie. It's
2: be- yeah, Bonnie from Toy Story 3. Uh, it's basically... Bonnie, yeah, sorry, Bonnie. Yeah, it's it's... Very reminiscent of um, Stinky Pete wanting Woody to stay with him in Toy Story 2. But I think, again, this film gives enough of a twist on it that I didn't feel... Even though it felt familiar that I was watching the (coughs) same thing as the previous installment like I did when I was watching Toy Story 3.
0: I felt it was distinct enough that I could enjoy this and not just think, damn... I've seen this before. We're going to talk next week about a movie, Booksmart, which is very reminiscent of a film that came out around the time of... the
2: sister of the lead actor.
0: Yes. Oh, dear me. But that's that's for next week. Um, I really liked the framing of the antique store because it is the classic haunted house, scary vista, but then... Because they are toys, and they're not playing on the same field as adults or even children. They're playing where the sockets are. They're playing behind the boards. They're playing in the cupboards. And it lends it a really creepy, eerie air. Yep. But more than that... Antique stores are creepy. Let's be honest. Oh, they are, but, um, uh, Cooley, one thing he's done really well is what I loved about the first film, and they kept it up for the most part. Of it, there's not so much Toy Story 3, but the, we see... I love when in kids' films where it is filmed from the kid's perspective, where adults are these towering alien-type figures. Mm. And this does that for the toys' perspective, so that the parents, the kids' own parents even more so. This keeps that up, and it works with um, a lot of the real-world business in particular the tiger who appears in the antique store, which is the cat. Um, if you think back to Team America and how cats were deployed there, uh, this is not dissimilar in some respects, but I think a lot funnier and leads to one of the better action sequences of the film as, yes, everything comes together because everyone has a particular skill. And this was the self-actualization narrative which went stronger on this than any of the other Toy Story films. And in particular, this regard, Duke Kaboom, Keanu Reeves, he nailed it. He nailed every moment.
2: Well, this idea of having value in yourself, um, not just toys being devoted to looking after their kids, is a swerve in terms of how the toys, believe. you know... uh, view of themselves has been presented in the film so far. Um, I it, this this is really it's the build up to a big sentimental ending. Um and I feel a little bit like Pixar wanted to replicate the feeling of Toy Story 3 um because that ending I think is famously uh traumatic and tear jerking
0: extremely relatable.
2: Right. I think that Pixar wanted to emulate that, but I get a sense of a tail-wags-the-dog kind of situation going on in terms of what characters are prioritized. Um, I don't feel like the film does enough to sell me on the ending. I don't want, I'm don't. i not going to go into spoilers here, but it represents a big shift in, in terms of how Woody's characterized. And I don't think the steps of his coming to the, the decision he makes in this film uh properly um articulated i don't i don't think that like for such a major shift in, in the series i think you need to sell me on that more and and the film really didn't do that and uh yeah like in you know, the ways to stop this from feeling emotionally false to the audience are withholding some of the characters that he has close relationships with so you don't yeah i i, I like i said it's a bit tailwags the dog
0: I think there's there's two really emotive sequences towards the end of the film. I actually enjoyed the first one in much more in much more. I did tear up a little. I'm not going to lie, and this was a very much a rehash of another very emotional scene in Toy Story three. However, in that sequence, the characters. This necessarily were very well introduced and were very well established. Mm. In this one, it necessitated a new character being brought in in a very late stage proceedings, which doesn't have near the emotional effect. Yep. Um, regarding Woody's arc, I see I, I can theorize and logically work out in my mind how he got there. I don't believe that. I don't believe it was articulated. Yeah. And the reason if you beat me to it is simply that the mainstay characters of this universe who have come to know and come to relate to, and who we've known Woody to most strongly relate to. We've still this best, still best in the Woody Buzz arc in the first Toy Story film, simply that they're not present for a lot of the film. We don't get to know these characters we really love, and they I, try I, to shoehorn it in. In Toy Story 3,
1: it's much you more natural this, progression.
0: You see this to an extent. Um, Buzz has a bit of a gimmicky storyline involving Spanish Buzz. I still think this was handled much better than Buzz's inner voice storyline in this, which was a bit of a throwaway bit which they already covered in the first and second film. So, Buzz, one of the main characters in this universe, is incredibly shortchanged. And I'd say the same for the John Ratzenberg character Pig, who's in every uh, Pixar film, and a number of the others. All of it. This is very much focused on new characters as opposed to the originals. The thing is.
2: Again, if you think about it, they're all mm-hmm. you know remixes of ideas we've seen in the previous films. Juke kaboom's lack of belief in himself is sort of like buzz thinking you know what's the worth of me I can't even fly out the window in toy Story one uh the The most emotionally affecting side plot of this film is about a character introduced as a villain who it turns out you know think just wants to be loved and her character the the character of Gabby is very reminiscent of the big tear-jerking sequence of Toy Story 2 about Jessie's memories of when she was loved. The one new character that I think is introducing something new is Forky because it gets at the idea that kids will really um, project onto and come to love anything. You don't need to be a really elaborate toy. Um, You don't need to be special in the ways that sometimes these toys think they have to be in order to be loved.
0: Forky... I liked Forky as a character. I feel they would have cast, ideally, mm. Alan Tudyk if he'd been yeah. available or <laughs> agreed to do it. I um, Tony but Hale th- was th- good going to say, was in this version on Tony Hale. Um, the actualization this particular character goes through, having only been alive, hmm. what a matter of hours, days, is one of the better parts of the film. In terms of the quote-unquote villain in this movie, we got such a better backstory for the equivalent villain in both the second and third we- Toy Story films. This is such a blatant rehash of it. She is interesting. I think the arc she goes through is... It's emotionally much, affecting. It, it, it's affecting, but it's much more strongly telegraphed than the arcs in the second or third film. I think uh, so. With, with Pete, um, it was really affecting when you realized the lens he was willing to go to to preserve literally this image of himself. The third one, um, it's ext- it, only until at the very end, it became very clear what his actual characterization, because it was very unclear and very ambiguous up until that point Mm. which made him um much more engaging than i think any still to date any of the toy story again quote-unquote villains
2: on the subject of forky um just thinking about that character you realize that um he falls by the wayside and i think the the an issue with this film is that it's probably too busy there's way too many it starts out with one kind of plot thread then it segues to another then, you know, there's this whole setting of this kid's playground, um, which kind of, why is it there? Where does it? It doesn't, you think that's being built up to have some kind of relevance for the plot, but it, it doesn't really. Um, there, it's a very busy film. When you see that there's like six people credited with the story, that makes a lot of sense. But moment by moment, the execution is so strong that you just go with it. The jokes are probably better than they've been in any Toy Story film before. The action's better than any Toy Story film has been before.
0: I just think... Um, I wouldn't say the jokes are that funny. Um, you the, don't the, think Juke Boom was hilarious? Oh, okay, the gags as opposed to the one-liners. Duke yeah, Boom, not so much Duke the one-liners, but the concepts w- was were hilarious. was excellent, but Juke Boom went into something which none of the other Toy Story films Stranger Things have gone into, which is the disparity between how we view toys and how commercial appetizing views right. toys in <laughs> yeah. a pretty funny, hilarious sequence. And I'm, I'm actually surprised this one's in the thread that was more pursued, mm. given that, that, it's, that it's a new element to the whole toy universe. Oh, so just on the matter of toys... These toys, even for the 90s, the toys and their modeling were pretty dated, which was fine. Mm. Um, there was a, a classical feel to it. The toys haven't really updated. and I appreciate it's being made by the same folks who had the same childhoods, but why aren't we having more modern toys That's true. in this universe at all? I mean, oh, I appreciate well, there's no little GI men anymore, but at the same time... We, there's, there's a, there's there's a, a big has, focus on classic toys. Hasbro have done uh, had huge strides in the past well, 10, 20 years. Well,
2: actually, if we're going to go down that, that doorway, why the hell is there a Toy Story? Because Toy Story has been since Toy Story 2 about the fear of being abandoned. Why is there a Toy Story movie made in 2019 where the kids don't play with iPads? That's the real ter- existential terror. phones? No phones or iPads. If you look at what parents do these days, it's always like, you know, Katie, go, go play your iPad. Like that's the real existential threat to a toy in, these days. In
0: fairness, though, this prospectively took place in what, several years ago, in the timeline of the films. Right. Um, we had, we, it, be, it's not That's a good a way around world. it. Yeah, uh, not everyone had iPads back in, what, 2012? Maybe
2: that's why Toy Story needs to be retired now.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I don't yeah, know. Sorry about the, toy the toy's toys competing we, we with say, a computer. We say this every... Sounds like
2: 2001 th- a Space Odyssey. We
0: say this every time, <laughs> and they keep making good films and left it open for more But movies. the thing
2: is, I felt especially not being sold by the way that this ends, I really felt like, okay, this has to be enough. Like, this has to be it. Because it's a major shift that, that doesn't feel quite emotionally genuine. And, you know, like, that that just strengthens the lingering
0: feel of was this really necessary? But you can do more with the Bo Peep character. She was really- They won't. There. But she, she, they won't. she was a good character this time around as opposed to other characterizations in the past films. I think, I think they're explicitly
2: trying to avoid doing anything with those characters again. But we'll see.
0: So that was Toy Story 4. It is in cinemas now to be confused with any of the others. They're all good. They're all just good it's, films. Yeah. Go see them. and You don't need us to, to
2: uh, tell you to go and see them. Uh, Disney's marketing does a good enough job forcing, you know, mind controlling you. Speaking of which, it's new uh, Disney yeah, for, release, uh,
0: Spider-Man Far From Home. Yeah, uh, so we should... Virat's joined us. I think Virat will give us his opinions first on Spider-Man Far From Home, which is in cinemas... Now. What a terrible title, by the way, Spider-Man. Well, it, it's Far it's from working home. off Homecoming.
2: It is, but like
0: man, it's it's trying really hard. But uh, yeah, it is a bit of a. Tr- it is trying very hard. To give you a brief synopsis of this. What this movie is about. Um, at the at the commencement of this film, these giant humanoid type things uh, apparate in the skies of water and wind, whatever they are. S.H.I.E.L.D. are, and wherever S.H.I.E.L.D. is, there is also this mysterious Mysterio who rocks up in the guise of J- an otherworldly Jake Gyllenhaal. Of course, Peter Parker, who just wants to go on his school vacation across Europe, is roped in to deal with this, and things spiral from there as European cities come in the crossfire. virat what did we think of Tom Holland's now fifth outing as um, The Amazing Spider-Man?
1: Well... I- I would admit, uh, off the bat, for whatever my hatred towards Marvel and other corporate franchisee in the superhero era, Spider-Man is probably the most palatable and most digestible of the superheroes that I've come across, mainly because it's probably the most sincere out of all the outings Marvel has tried to make. It still is acknowledging its own flaws. And also, Spider-Man as a character is interesting because he's still kind of like a proper high school teenager he's not trying to be the perfect tony stark kind of universe that is marvel aspiring for talking about tony stark which is just so on the nose
0: spoilers for endgame if you actually if you're one of the only people who have not seen endgame yet
1: I mean, the shadow of Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man Man, and Tony Stark is looming so large over this post-Marvel Phase 4 universe. Oh, they say we're going into
2: a
0: new phase at the beginning of the movie.
1: They make this so clear. But but
2: yeah, Robert Downey Jr. slash Tony Stark's centrality the just smacks of ego. He's he's dwarfed everything in this universe since its inception. Like like how many people know that Ultron in the comics is actually Ant-Man's creation and Arch Nemesis, not Tony Stark's Everything's yeah. always
0: about Tony Stark they, all the time. Actually, and somehow he's spilled over into Spider Man. They actually make a joke out of this with um Edith, the AI system which they create. My issue with it is that I don't mind that Tony Stark looming big over this universe, but They mix up the idea of how Peter Parker sees himself in relation to Iron Man with a more consistent arc through the comics of Peter Parker wanting to be, quote unquote, the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, which he says way too many times to this film and wanting to be a part of the big superhero league, part of the Avengers, and it's a strange thing when he's had all these films where he's saved the world. One where, as Nick Fury points out, he goes into space, and now suddenly, when there's another threat, suddenly he doubts he, himself. Not just that he doubts himself; it's not even that he doubts himself. He just wants to, you know, take on robbers in Queens and Brooklyn. He doesn't want to deal with this big stuff. And there's it's, no it's consistency. such a in plot. Yeah,
2: there's no consistency. It's like they don't have the imagination to actually write the, uh, a film that's going away from the typical conventions of Spider-Man where oh spider-man is a high school kid but he's also taken on in insane intergalactic space alien threats and things like that it, um he's fought in like the battle for earth but he yeah but now he thinks of himself as just like a you know some the help, neighborhood he can't help
0: up venice sorry so, yeah. sorry italy
1: yeah weird I had this interesting premise, and I was talking to Chris about it after the movie, and maybe I'm reading too much into this film. What I really believe is Spider-Man is about, this movie especially, is our constant need to have superheroes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the only way we can have superheroes is if we invent for ourselves these supervillains. So Mysterious Character is very interesting, where I feel it well, is basically this kind of a Joker-Batman scenario. The main,
2: where- well, yeah, we, the main character is... Sorry, the main villain is... A master of illusions.
1: Illusion, and but also more importantly, I think what he's trying to comment on, in terms of a broader perspective, is that we as people need saviors. That the world kind of gravitates towards these narcissistic, all-ego eyes, self-important saviors who think they're more important than the universe, aka the Avengers but i don't think the movie is giving itself that much credit but i, I, I don't yeah I, don't, I preferred that reading so it I, made I, it more digestible for me i
2: think if um, there's i don't think any of that is intended i think if it's in the film it's simply because marvel is such a, a representative product of our current corporate overlord um, system that the the sorts of values that they champion are going to bleed into the film
0: yeah there's a strange kind of metaciticism at some point which appears apparent but at the end of the day, they really just try to use it to <coughs> sell movies. Um, I think this sort of content was handled much better, and actually, broadly, DC comics and the tentpole of these sorts of issues is obviously Watchmen, which now has its own TV series. You're going to get to see it, but with Spider-Man in this, they try every time, and they, it's using this narrative ploy. Marvel try and reinvent the wheel to say we are different, we are special. There's nothing particular special. special or unique about this film. There are it's this, I, by the book. I, I will say, the first half was very generic. The second half is really good. And that's because you get into some of the more illusory elements that were very inspired, I feel, by Into the Spider-Verse, which is still a far superior film. Also, Jake Gyllenhaal, he's good in everything. A lot of charm. And he gets to flex his muscles a lot more, um, acting-wise and in every sense. And the supporting cast, it's also really hit or miss. die is great, but Jake Vadelant, he doesn't get a lot to do here. Um, as the best friend. He's got a pretty one-joke subplot.
2: Yeah, I I think Mysterio, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, is by far the the most interesting character in this. Um, As a whole, I think this is really badly written, actually. Um, I think it it works because it's quite well-directed. There's a nice energy to it. The original film I found to be... uh, Homecoming, that is. I found to have almost nothing interesting about it to be a just completely generic vanilla superhero movie... This one in the character of Mysterio and in the globetrotting location shooting at least introduces a few more unusual aspects. to. And I I found this to be one of the more enjoyable Marvel movies, mostly on the strength of the direction. Unfortunately, the first action scene set in Venice is the the only one that really captured my attention in the film. There's There's some interesting, I wouldn't exactly call it action, but some interesting visual work involving Mysterio's abilities later in the film.
0: Um, which were the best parts of the film
2: by far yeah it's, it's what makes this whole thing interesting but um, yeah the action is very just kind of by the book for the most part but on the subject of how badly written I think this is the characters um, have basically no depth to them never do they feel like real high schoolers they're very much subservient to plot um, they the jokes uh, come thick and fast as they tend to do in Marvel and they're almost consistently
0: awful in this like and they rely so heavily on these one-liners, which, which are never, never land. Funny.
2: Yeah, they, they never land. Um, but when you think about uh, the the best Spider-Man uh, films and stories, as Varite was saying, he has this kind of intrinsic appeal beyond the other um, Marvel characters, I think because of his universe and, and the, the scope um, and the stakes of him you know, against the world as just a young kid. This movie really doesn't get into that. Uh, Spider-Man's interior life is basically just subservient to the plot when there were opportunities to really bring that in, in terms of how he overcomes the main villain in this film, there's a total missed opportunity for some kind of introspective uh, work, of, you know, which we even saw in Homecoming in the, the moment where they recreated from the comic Spider-Man lifting the steel that's pinning him down. In this, yeah, Spider-Man's interior life is barely there compared to something like Spider-Man 2 or Into the Spider-Verse where you really feel the stakes and the scope and it makes this whole thing feel small, like a TV episode.
1: I really agree. And more on that, actually. The way it actually is able to waste so many good actors in, you know, especially, okay, Marissa Tomei is Aunt May. Uh, I'm so sad how Marvel is able to waste Marissa Tomei consistently. I don't think that was possible until Spider-Man. And uh, she's, she's able to be reduced to just eye candy, which is terrible for a, a statue of Marissa Tomei's you know, acting abilities. I was just so sad that the only joke Marvel now has with her character is that, oh, Aunt May is now hot.
2: That's all she is, yeah.
1: It is so weird. It is so. And also, it's just, you know, grating because, you know, you know that something more can be done with this. But yeah, that's what Marvel wants to do. And I guess you got to run along with it.
0: Yeah, um, as I said earlier, uh, Favreau doesn't get a great deal to do. Battleland. And Andrew Rice, the Australian returning for this, they're involved in a one-joke subplot, which is, doesn't go anywhere and isn't interesting. Um, some of the other minor characters, Nick Fury, um, Samuel Jackson, doesn't get a lot to do. Kobe Smolders, it's worse. Um, she, gets a lot of, she settled with a lot of the worst dialogue in this film. Um, on the matter of some of the action sequences, some of them were great, but the good sequences were there for seconds or minutes. They don't have the effort or energy or writing skills. It's the same thing with Infinity War and the great encounter between Thanos and Doctor Strange. They did not sustain any of their good action sequences or ideas beyond moments. And with a comic, you can go for a whole several splash pages, and you can see whole action sequences play out. Here, they just had to move on to the next thing, and it's not. And maybe they, maybe they thought that we can't hold people's attention, or that we just don't have the creative energy to put into to developing these long, interesting sequences. And they should have, because there were so many interesting ideas yeah, here had a bigger budget into the Spider Verse, and I'm disappointed that they didn't actually. Actualize any of the imagination it's that when it's either of these films.
2: It's fun, but there's just very little depth to it. Going back into where my saying that it was really badly written, here's an example. The plot ultimately hinges on the, that, though it's barely made a, a point of in the film, that Spider Man's spider sense isn't working. They just kind of allude to, oh, that isn't working at the beginning. And then when it's convenient for the plot, it just turns back on at the end. Compare that to the way that Spider Man 2 handled this kind of thing where they explored. Peter Parker's interior life, the reason, which was the reason why his abilities weren't working, and re- resolving things within himself led to the the triumph. That's what Spider-Man, I think, as a character is all about. The guy who deals with everyday things as a metaphor for his, um, you know, well, it's the other way around. The superpowers represent his interior struggles, and who cares in this film?
0: So we will be talking more about Spider-Man... Far From Home, which is in cinemas now on the podcast. Also, Toy Story 4 is in cinemas now. Stay tuned for The Sonic Assassin. And we'll be back next week talking about Booksmart, the uh, feature debut from director Olivia Wilde. This has been Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Evans, and Virat Nehru. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy toys. Don't enjoy spiders. They're dangerous. Have a great evening. Drive safe and enjoy movies. Good night. Spiders need love too. And we're back on the podcast. Spiders, yeah, you know they had to ban some international episodes of kids' TV shows and stuff because they had spiders as friendly things, and here yeah, they're just dangerous and right. Yeah, yeah, yeah spiders' rights.
1: No, actually, because actually, uh, let's let's pick up on your point about the spider Peter Tingle or the oh, spider yeah. sense. Yeah, that's an interesting. Just point. say they never, Spidey sense. For some, sense. some reason, just they never say, say spider sense. sense. They'd
2: kill it. There's this, this dumb joke about his Peter
1: Tingle. Ha ha. But but that's part of what I think Marvel's in jokiness has kind of brought about where they feel like everything has to be said with a laugh track in the background yeah. they're they, they the modern sitcom yeah you right the I, jokes I, are
2: like sitcoms yeah yeah and, I, and, like, I, and there's no laugh track so
1: <laughs> exactly Ooh. so but i feel part of it is where we've internalized how to laugh at marvel movies because i could just envision and a lot of the audiences were doing it hmm. there was so much forced laughter in the theater because they saw we have to laugh at this. The most
2: forced laughter since On Dog at the Sydney Film Festival. <laughs> or The Dead Don't Die. Definitely The Dead <laughs> Don't Die.
1: Or even High
0: Life, actually. Right. And this... I remember we were—we we went to a preview, but we went to see Book Smart the other night on the night that Spider-Man opened. And I wish I'd gone then because there were all these fans in costume. And I thought that would have been much more... It would have been a very organic atmosphere, at least at the outset, because they're, the, they're the, all of the true fans and they will laugh if it's funny and they won't laugh if it's not... I do think it is strange that this idea at festivals where you have to react in a film to a certain way Mm. has bled into a lot of mainstream cinema. I didn't feel compelled to laugh at a lot of this. Zendaya, she had some of the best jokes and gags, but she was much drier. I was able to get into a lot of her... um, one line is a lot more. Um, John Favreau even had a couple of decent yeah, moments. What's he even doing here? But he didn't no. need to be in this film at all. Um, Marisa Tomei, for a little, she was in it. Um, had a, a quite funny scene later on. Um, and you know what, Tom Holland. He's my favorite of the three modern Spider-Mans because he actually sells... Spider-Men? spider man Sorry, spider man yes. Or is it Spider-Mans? I don't know. No, spider Man. spider <laughs> Well There's, there's multi-Spider-Mans now, multiverses and et cetera, et cetera. Oh, That's another cop art which I was very on. angry about. Well, he sells, he sells Spider-Man and the balance between... Teen Spider-Man, an action Spider-Man much better than Owen And also, also, he can do the stunts. He can do the acrobatics. He's charming. He actually looks like a kid, unlike Andrew Garfield and Tony Maguire. Um, I know he's what, 23. But he's he was my favorite of the ones that have come. So I'm grateful that he is in this and he's got one more to come.
1: Okay. I'll give you the age-appropriate Spider-Man and that sort of you know. But BS, isn't it interesting that they
2: finally have an age-appropriate-looking Spider-Man and they do nothing with it? Spider-Man okay. Into the Spider-Verse does so much more with the idea of a teenage Spider-Man.
1: Yeah. Okay. Tom Holland Hot Tech. Here you have a person who has charisma personality. If you've seen his interviews, you know he has something. But when you get it in him into a Marvel product, he's somehow so sanitized and watered down into what Marvel's version of Spider-Man must look like, that it robs him of any kind of actual personality that he can actually be charming on screen. I mean, compare that to Men in Black 3, which is a terrible, terrible, you terrible, terrible movie. Oh, my oh God. International. Yeah, sorry. sorry Men yeah. in Black 3. International, that's right. Oh, my God. The new, the new, Men, the new Men in Black, you know, yeah. where you have an incredibly unbearable movie. But for some reason, it is a lot of bad fun because Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson... They have actual charisma outside of their own personas of Thor and Valkyrie that they're playing. So it's interesting. Tom Holland, I'm not sure he's discovered who he is on screen yet. I'm not saying as Spider-Man, as I'm like what Tom Holland represents. Tobey Maguire, for all his faults, yes, he doesn't look the part. He was not Spider-Man. But there is something about the earnestness and sincerity yeah, of portraying the actual emotional vulnerability of being in that situation that Tommy Maguire got just right. I mean, I believed him in those nonsensical sequences, especially in Spider-Man 3, which is the most camp of all the movies. And the worst. It's yeah. still okay, terrible. It's a bad and movie. that sequence
0: you're referring to is awful. Not, not not erotically awful. It's just bad. Which one? Let's talk about the dancing. No, the da- the, the, dancing, the dancing
2: was actually funny. It was intended yeah. <laughs> as comedy. And yeah, it's funny No, fun. thank, no thank like, you, it, It's not like the idea no,
0: that he can go to just, that, just, just the, gets the gelled hair and it's, no, just, it's, it's so that. funny. He's bad now because It's, it's he puts a bad, a black look, it's a bad movie, but that, and mo- that moment that. No, no, it was quite. That. It's still cringeworthy, but
2: okay. it was intended to be cringeworthy. The character the, 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 is walking down the street and people are like giving him sort of embarrassed faces. It clearly was meant to be somewhat embarrassing.
1: Okay, that's what
2: i I'll go to bat for this scene. I thought it was just hilarious. It was. It was too painful to watch. I'm sorry.
1: That's what I'm trying to say. I'm saying about an actor who has that kind of screen presence that he's actually being able to own that cringeworthy stuff without feeling self-aware or self-conscious. I don't think Tom Holland can do that because he's so you know, self-aware of being in this Marvel product because he can't be Tom Holland. I, we don't even know what Tom Holland is.
0: Except when he's awkwardly trying to talk to girls, I buy that more than Tony McGuire or just Andrew just Goth dick. awkwardly yes. trying to talk it's, to girls. It's, it's the visual
2: of seeing this young, this young kid. Is it's not it, just the visual,
0: though he He's that, that bumbling 17-year-old. That's every bumbling 17-year-old. To, not every 17-year-old he, is bumbling. He captures and it he well. It.
2: He does Toby well. I just think he deserves a better script that goes into these things in a more believable way. All the best Spider-Man films have done that.
1: Okay, compare. Uh, Spider-Man 1, the Tobey Maguire scene, where he has to save a lot of people with the train and the, the web. Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2. 2. Sorry, Spider-Man 2, yes. Yeah. Okay, and you know, once again, ridiculous scene doesn't hold Why up. Did in Why do you take your sense. mask off? Why take okay. your mask, mask off? Okay, taking the mask off is the only that, bad not, thing
2: about that scene. That, by okay. the way, guys, that's not yeah, dropping that
1: yeah, in that, there. That's true. That's true. Uh, high five, praise. High uh, five. The, Chris, the, the, high the five. Jesus bit. High five. It's fine. Uh, anyway.
0: <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> anyway, I, I remember laughter in the cinema. Okay. It was unironic.
1: Compare that. Compare that to Tom Holland trying to save all these people with with a, you know, in this very elaborate action set piece in this movie, and you can just see. The difference is because Toby Maguire is able to sell that emotional payoff so much better in that sequence even though that sequence is way more ridiculous and far less believable
2: actually you bringing this up raises um, the comparison with Marvel um, yeah it it raises back this feeling I've had that in the Marvel films barely care about average bystanders the people in the street it's always about you know oh our superheroes are in threat are I under th- under threat Yeah, no one I, I,
1: dies no one dies
2: there's barely a focus on I need to protect the people in no, no, New York
1: I, I, I totally agree I mean we as this common people do not matter in the Marvel universe yeah. uh, and case in point uh, especially about how the people who were, you know, erased uh, due to events in... The blip. Endgame. Okay, can we talk about the blip?
0: Let's talk about the blip. We'll
1: about the blip. We, are, we are spoiling the events
0: of Endgame, if you have seen game, We've already issued spoilers for Endgame. Yep. My only issue with how they did this is that there's such an interesting dynamic issue. to... <laughs> oh, my God. Half people have just come back. They're different ages. How it do we matter adapt? matter at all. But it barely fact into the storytelling. There were some references to socially how people would adapt and how schools or airplanes would have to handle this, but there's no real detail well, just, or yeah. examination of, wait a minute, what are the consequences of doing this? Yeah. It's such a great opportunity. Make a whole film about yeah. that. Make Put a plot around that. Marvel, but no, they
2: didn't. Marvel um, like the feeling and the social media effect of having big shock moments. Like, oh my God, half the people in the universe died but they never they never really follow through on the ramifications in the case of the blip how convenient that everyone that is close to Peter Parker also blipped. So we don't need to go with, with any kind of five-year age gap with the characters from the original film.
1: Totally. I mean, Marvel is symptomatic of this sort of outrage, woke culture that has come about where you just kind of talk about the periphery of things and if as soon as things become too emotionally hard to deal with, it becomes like, whoa, you know, can't deal with it. You know, people, people won't ha- people handle it. I mean, they, so. they did
0: deal with one older character and how they would relate to teenagers of their own age. And that was handled older.
1: terribly as well. An idea <laughs> Chanel...
2: Well, I was talking about this with Chanel before (laughs) recording this. My girlfriend, who's been on the show before. And uh, for those who are just listening now. um, Yeah, we were saying, wouldn't it have been interesting, because she barely did anything in the first film, if instead of MJ being played by Zendaya, uh, MJ was like some little girl Spider-Man rescued in the first film. Now suddenly she's in his class. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Something like anything like that to give the sense of that characters in this film also were affected by the blip.
0: Okay, this what I was about to say regarding MJ. I initially thought would be a criticism, but then I realized no, it's actually one of the film's greatest recommendations. At the end of the f- Homecoming, we just find out who MJ is. Suddenly, now he's in love with her. He wants. He has a crush on her. And I was thought, wait a minute, where did that come from? Where did that come from? But that didn't bother me because it's fine. It it's jumps, a teenager, but, but it jumps between f- uh, s- s- scenes and episodes like a comic does. But better than that. What no one's talking about in terms of Spider-Man, purely in a technical sense, It's scene transitions. The way the film plays out plays it like you're flipping through the pages of a comic because it's not situational. If a character is moving in one scene, they'll be moving in the next shot in a different location and you can jump between different areas in that way. It's much more seamless. It allows for more storytelling. So for this idea of the film, it's kinetic. I give the film a lot of credit. The
2: direction is really the saving grace and the direction is what makes the film so fun to watch. Everything else, if you stop to think about it, is very poor. It just works on the scene-by-scene level.
0: But no, the, the, way, I mean, the way they would... The moment
2: was, by moment, I should say, as far it, as direction goes.
0: And I obviously it gets a little bit harder to believe the more and more these individuals keep running into these big happenstances and Spider-Man type things and Spider-Man. It's, yeah, it's and convenient. And Martin Star could sell it in the first movie, but he's not given a lot to do here. Uh, his scripting is very poor and lax. He's the standard frustrated, angry, mopey teacher. Uh, who was actually very much like some of the teachers who were he, who were he's the character he played in Freaks and Geeks, some of the characters in that series, um, that was where the architect came from and now he's portraying one of these figures um, a lot of the mainstays of the first film were really good, don't get a lot to do here and also it's the I'm glad they gave Peter Parker some characterization. It's a big thing, the Dark Knight effect, where we want to build this great universe, but we're not going to bother developing our main character. It's just that they went for this title trope of Spider-Man, which would have been fine if none of the Avengers films existed. Mm. But no, um, we have to lean into, like Amazing Spider-Man did, this classic Spider-Man story. And no, you don't. do something. I'm glad you brought in the elementals, but... Do something, do something new. different.
1: I, I think they were trying to do something different and build like a more coherent narrative just, around uh, the, his emotional. But it's uh, so side half-hearted. Like to, it is, to it do is, and that's the, problem. the
2: classic Spider-Man kind of story, but like which is all about emotion, but not really invest any kind of de- char- like depth of characterization into it. It just makes it feel so tossed off.
1: Which is why, like into the Spider Verse, it, it's so much better. Where yeah. you know you yeah. actually had stakes, and you know. He had to go through actual growth to actually get to that point. And the payoff is yeah, so much. Yeah, because the more heart sweeter. of
2: Spider Man, more than any of these other Marvel superheroes, is I think like Peter Parker. He's the most relatable as a real person. And, and he's gone
1: through the most tragedy out of probably all the other superheroes in terms of the Marvel Universe, at least.
0: And the best scene in this film is a scene just as him as. I mean, I complain about people taking their masks off, but the best scene is just him as himself. On a bus with a drone, and an incident that happens, and it shouldn't have happened because he was being silly, but it happened, and it was hilarious. And the sequences where it was a um, bit of an Iron Man three situation too for a lot of it, where he's not in traditional Spider Man gear, but he has to work as a semi-equipped Peter Parker, which I didn't mind. Um, so sort of like Daredevil season two, which used that, th- which more series now using that theme to great effect, where they won't give us the iconic images of the individual but they will show them having to work not so much as the alter egos, but as themselves, but with some of their abilities and equipment intact, which I liked.
1: One thing I would give in terms of uh, the plotting and the scripting was the actual characterization of the villain template. Now, the villain template is much more contemporary update on what uh, the usual threats are used to be, and it's something much more believable in this universe and in our current times and what villains can do. So that is
0: Spider-Man: Far From Home. It is in cinemas now. Happy Fourth of July! And as is Toy America! Story Four. Uh Yeah. So that's our Disney. Hopefully, no more Disney for a while. Maybe it's smart Disney. I do No, so. it's not. No, it's uh, not. Yeah. It's Universal. But, but The Lion King looms. Oh, July 17th. Yeah. God, are we, are we covering The Lion King? Uh,
1: I guess it depends on whether they send
2: us free tickets.
1: The biggest superstar oh. in the world, Shah Rukh Khan, is dubbing it in India in the Hindi version, which is going to be weird, as Mufasa.
2: I, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Oh, just, I, I don't, A we lot don't of need Indians it. are
1: suddenly very interested
2: in The Lion King.
0: We don't <laughs> need this. Do we need this? We'll but find did out. did we
2: need uh, the two films we spoke about today probably not Disney yeah. is the master of getting you to see things that are really really unnecessary <laughs> I could make the best well.
0: argument that it was a film that you know had a yeah. trajectory yeah. yeah so those are for two films you don't necessarily need but you may want um, <laughs> not yeah. the films you need but the ones you deserve yeah. oh, oh, oh that's that, that, harsh, that's, harsh. That, that's very harsh we'll we be back next week talking about Booksmart and which we're keen to talk about, I think we can fill a whole episode. Yeah, there's a, a lot to say on that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, It's yeah, got a actually. lot of buzz. It's got a lot of good things about it, and
1: there's a lot of detractions. Yeah, we we'll cover both. But yeah. it's it's a it's a movie to talk about, which we haven't had. So talk about the movies. Yeah. So this has been. Don't yeah. just
2: be a
0: passive sheep, man.
1: Yeah, just,
2: just make up your, talk about the movies, make man. Up your, <laughs> you know. Anyway. Just
0: get into the. We will we, we'll get into book smart. Have a wonderful, wonderful night. Have a wonderful life. A wonderful mm-hmm. life. Be happy. It's a wonderful. Be life. Be movies. That's a good movie. We should talk about. We should talk about movies like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. we should. We good. should do a retro episode. For sure. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like
0: pre fifties. We never talk about pre fifties movies. We ever. should. Yeah. We, should. Yeah, yeah. we should. We should. I would gladly get into uh, Billy Wilder and oh god, yeah. uh, Frank Capra and. George Stevens and his era. We should
1: have a criterion and fight. Yeah, let's do it.
0: Let's do it. We'll, we'll be back in the coming week with one of those episodes too. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy life. Have a wonderful life. It's a wonderful <laughs> life. Good night. Good day. Good day. S- good, day, day good day, Good day, sir. Good day. Good day,
2: sir. Good day, good day. Good day sir. Good day, sir. Good day, sir. Good day, sir.